0: well let's look at this book great book of Habakkuk I would really encourage you to read the whole book through it's a, it's a very very approachable and human book in, in the scriptures if one of the perhaps one of the easier of the minor prophets to kind of get into because it's one man's struggle with uh, what he sees around and then with what the Lord does and then at the end it's this kind of prayer of of trust. So it's a great, great thing to look at. And we're going to be thinking about God's dark problems. Because a lot of the problems that Habakkuk experiences um, are really from the hand of God. Not the devil, not himself, not Habakkuk, but, but from God and the way God is working. Maybe you've had that. I mean, no Christian lives long before they face times of utter confusion. Something happens which might challenge almost everything you believe about God, his faithfulness and his promises. It can be almost anything. What is he doing? What is he not doing? Is he really in control? How can he allow that to happen to him, to her? To me, to us, does he care? And we pray, a bit like Paul. Three times I prayed, Lord, take this away from me. And sometimes it's as though the Lord makes the situation worse. He adds to our suffering. He extends our pain. He deepens the mystery. He seems to withdraw, seems to let go. And we're left alone in the dark, waiting for God to keep his promises. While everything around seems to contradict what we know about him. So William Cooper, friend of John Newton, writer of hymns like God Moves in a Mysterious Way, which we'll sing at the end. He had a hard life, did William. Three of his brothers, two of his sisters died in infancy William was left with one brother John whose birth was the reason for his mother's death so just two days before William's sixth birthday he had a new baby brother and his mum had died (coughs) delivering him and I think William's sorrow for his mother was so deep that for more than 47 years later, so when he was 53, he wrote this. I can honestly say that not a week passes when I do not think of her. 47 years from 6 to 53. And through all his troubled life, William suffered from bouts of severe depression. And when he was reading the book of Habakkuk and verse 19, where Habakkuk says that God will make my feet like those of a deer, now that's really quite a positive verse, isn't it? It's like God is going sort of to put, put a spring in my step. That's, what, that's kind of what... That's what Habakkuk is saying there, like a deer. William says, But I am a stricken deer, weak, vulnerable, and trembling. Maybe you can relate to that sometimes. So we're going to be asking the question how do God's people hold on in tough times? And we're going to look at Habakkuk and William Cooper and see that this message is profoundly helpful, very helpful for all of us he's been there and he can preach from though his book is is now you know he's written this book so many years before he can preach to us so let's just have a look at his journey through the dark and i would say first of all uh, not unsurprisingly that habakkuk's journey begins in despair it begins in despair so look at chapter 1 verses 1 to 6 Habakkuk's people were far from God the land was corrupt and violent and that would be bad enough but God seems careless and unconcerned so he says how long in verse 2 how long Lord shall I cry out and you not do not hear you will not hear that's quite an accusation to make, isn't it? This man is in despair because he looks around and he sees God's people and he just wants to weep. Violence, injustice, iniquity, plundering, strife, contention. He says the law is powerless. That's God's law, he said. It's powerless. And God in his mercy... Answers Habakkuk, and God, of course, could come down and sort of give him a clip round the ear and say, "You're speaking badly about me," but He doesn't. Verse five, He says, uh, "Look among the nations and watch; be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you." Wow, what are you going to do, Lord? You're going to send revival. You're going to heal our land. You're going to heal our nation. You're going to make us holy. No, says God, I'm going to send the Chaldeans or Babylonians to chastise and discipline and purify my people. And this is just, well, it's like a a rabbit punch to the gut. This is too much. We didn't read it, but look, verse 12, chapter 1. Lord, are you not from everlasting? O Lord my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Verse 13, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil. You cannot look on wickedness. Lord, you're holy, you're righteous, you can't look on on wickedness. Why on earth are you sending the Babylonians? This is not what you are supposed to do. He's teaching God how to to be God. He's so in turmoil. The solution is worse than the problem. Habakkuk cannot believe God would use such a wicked nation to chastise the people he loves. Lord, no matter how far we've fallen, nothing justifies that, surely. And so... Pretty broken, I think, in chapter 2 and verse 1. Habakkuk kind of desperately seeks an answer. So he prays again and he gets a second answer. Rather like, a bit like Jonah in some ways, you know, going to stand outside Nineveh. I knew you were like this. Well, Habakkuk is, look, I'm going to stand my watch. He's like, I am not moving until I get an answer that I can understand if you're a Christian you might have already been where Habakkuk has been if you're if if what I'm saying seems alien to you let me encourage you in, in, the, in the most loving possible terms that at some point in your life they probably won't be a, seem quite so strange. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet but I know enough believers and their experiences to know that sometimes God's solutions seem worse than the problem. What's going on? So I'm saying be ready for the despair. This man is a believer. Don't be surprised. Jesus promised it. Didn't Isaiah describe the Messiah as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? The cross reminds us of the cost of our Saviour's grief. The cross reminds us that just what a hole we're in. We should be the most prepared for tough times. Isn't it interesting? Whenever something bad happens, all the newspapers are they're up in arms. How can this happen? And they try to perhaps present the person who's committed this crime as somehow a monster. How can this person do this? How can this human being commit such a thing? But we as Christians know, don't we, that people are like that. Someone once said to me, the three things you need in the Christian ministry, you need a really good doctrine of sin, because then nothing will surprise you. You need a really strong doctrine of heaven, because that will keep you going. And you also need a sense of humour to not laugh at you, to not take yourself too seriously. I think that's good advice. But we should be ready. Be ready for really dark times. (coughs) Let's think about William Cooper. Before he was a Christian, he tried to kill himself. So he tried to drink laudanum, which is like a mixture of opium and wine. But he felt an invisible hand stop him from picking up the bottle. So he took a penknife, and a later time, he took a penknife and tried to stab himself in the heart, and the blade snapped. He took a carriage to the River Thames, and he was going to jump in. But the tide was out, and he didn't want to get muddy. Nothing changes there, does it? Come to Gravesend Beach, you'll see the beach there. Three times he tried to hang himself. Yet each time, something broke and it wasn't his neck. The hook, the rope, the knot. So what? One, two, three, four, five, six, there may have been others, attempts. Why? And the answer is because Christ died for him and he wasn't yet saved. And so he was utterly safe in God's hands, even when he didn't realise it. Even when he didn't know. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been through the mill. Maybe, you're, maybe you've you. Maybe thought, why am I here? What's the point? Let me tell you, the reason why you're not yet in the other side of eternity is because it's just so happens that you are meant to be in this building tonight to hear the word of god and that has to mean something the lord understands but but often our journey begins in despair that doesn't nullify god's love though secondly let's have a think about how it continues Habakkuk's journey begins in despair, but it's sustained by faith. And here we get these verses in chapter 2. We read uh, some of them, verses 2 to 4. Habakkuk is going to have the answer. So verse 2, the Lord answered me and said, write this vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. So um, basically, he's saying, look, I want you to write this on a big tablet, like a billboard. You're a graphic designer. Make it bold. It's got to be sans-serif font so everyone can read it clearly. Big, black, bold writing. Something is coming. And then, wait. Verse 3. But uh, the vision is yet for an appointed time. God said, you're going to get an answer. You'll get an answer. But you must wait. So what does waiting involve? Waiting involves trusting, doesn't it? Whenever we say wait to our children... We're saying, wait, trust me, it's going to be worth the wait. You can't have it now, but you might have it later. There's a, there's a reason. I know more than you. We're saying all these things just by saying, wait. And God is saying to Habakkuk, look, I know this is really hard. You're going to get a big answer. But you have to wait. And so you have to trust. And verse 4, this amazing verse which um, is used in the New Testament a number of times. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. And then, but the just shall live by his faith. And this, that verse is kind of the, that's the turning point of the book. The rest before was bleak. And God is saying, trust. Trust me. The just shall live by faith. And you're going to have your answer. About the wicked. God will separate. The wicked. And the just. God will separate. Those who are trusting in Christ. And those who rejected him. God will divide the world in two. And faith. Is the dividing line. Those who trust in Christ. Those who don't. Those who trust in their father. Those who don't. So those who trust in God. Are called the just. They are going to live. Verse 4, they're going to live through their faith or by their faith. And then you have the proud, like Babylon, like these evil people, like many people in Israel who were not trusting. God will punish them. And, and you get verses like chapter 2. We didn't read it all, but I'll give you a, a potted history, history, summary of verse chapter 2. Verses 5 to, to 13. God is basically saying, look, all you wicked people, all you Babylonians who are doing my bidding. Something is coming. You're going to be judged. Woe to the wicked. There is a day of judgment, says God. But verse 14, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's that's something to hold on to, isn't it? But... <laughs> That's not today, Habakkuk. That's tomorrow. That's why you have to live by faith today. And the Holy Spirit uses this verse, chapter 2, verse 4. It uses that phrase to teach two things. And so we obviously, first of all, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Paul, well no, the writer to the book of Hebrews. He's never, he's always Paul, isn't it? But yeah, the writer to the book of Hebrews, whoever they were quotes this verse and basically says, look, to survive tough times, you need to keep trusting God. That's, that's how I'm going to be thinking about it today. But there is another, two other references in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 3. Paul kind of unfolds this verse and says, this is the heart of real Christianity. This is, this is how somebody is made friends with God. This is how someone who is wicked can be forgiven They're made just, they're justified through faith alone in Christ alone. And Paul kind of unfolds that in Romans and uh, Galatians. And so God is saying, look, if you have faith in me, you will live. No matter what happens in your life. You will live. And you will be right with me. And, and this is how Habakkuk, I think, would see it as well. If you trust me. If you trust me, I will keep you alive in this world of sorrow and I will bring you into a new world of joy. But you have to trust me today, Habakkuk, even though you don't have the answers. So, we can't understand God's mind. We can't even understand what God's doing with his hands. But we have to trust God's heart. He loves me. Therefore, I will trust him. And we have to live through faith in our Saviour's cross. Now, chapter 3 and verse 13 is a bit of a strange verse. It's just a little hint here. But if you just look, we just get glimpses of things to come. Um, This is speaking about God's saving work um, through the creation of the world, there's hints of the exodus, and there's also um, this... Verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. And again, in prophecy like this, sometimes things are written in the past, but it could be talking about events in the future as well. There's that sense of it's so certain that it's written in the, what's called the prophetic past. So he could be looking forward to a day when the anointed one, the Messiah, comes to save his people. But you couldn't really say that that verse gives you a full explanation of the cross of Christ, can you? But there's a, just a little hint that there's a, there is an anointed one. And he does work for the salvation of his people. Only at the cross are we going to understand. So Habakkuk had to wait. Isn't it wonderful to know so much more than Habakkuk knew? Aren't you glad you didn't live in the days of Habakkuk? Because you'd be scratching your head at verse 13. And maybe that's a leap too far. But we're saved when we trust in the Anointed One. Now, how did William Cooper become a Christian? William Cooper spent 18 months in a lunatic asylum. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a nice hospital that you and I might visit for those with mental health issues today. This was a pretty horrific asylum. They just locked people up as animals. And he said this, writing about his experience in this lunatic asylum. 18 months. I felt like a man buried above ground. Think about that. He was, he was above ground. He felt like he was buried above ground yeah I'm I'm here but I might as well be six feet under but he heard the gospel in the asylum and he realised Christ had died for sinners and he writes I saw the sufficiency of the atonement that Jesus had made I saw my pardon sealed in his blood in a moment I believed and received the gospel he was given faith in the darkest hole. And he lived. He lived by faith. Suddenly he was alive. Imagine who are you praying for who is absolutely never, ever, ever going to become a Christian? Or who have you stopped praying for for the same reasons? Maybe it's you're thinking about yourself. That's me. Never, ever, ever. Never is a very strong word, isn't it? Never say never. God can rescue us and pluck us from all kinds of holes. Maybe you're in a hole. Maybe you're a believer. God is saying to you, please trust me. I understand that this is very hard. But those who are just, those who are justified, my friends... You live by faith. That's what Paul says. I don't live by myself. I live by faith. By faith in who? Well, the Son of God. What did he do? He loved me. Prove it. He died for me. So his journey is sustained by faith. And that's the same today. Nothing changes really. Sustained by faith. And thirdly, it ends in hope. It ends in hope. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Okay. Habakkuk, tell us. How did you end up praising God in tough times? Chapter 3 is really a little song that he wrote. A little prayer of praise. It's, It's like Psalm 151, really, in some ways. Habakkuk, how did your faith help you? And here's some things that Habakkuk would say. Well, application number one. In faith, I prayed. Verse one, I prayed. Look, he tells us this is a prayer of Habakkuk. And don't worry, you don't need to know how to pronounce that unpronounceable name. Um, I guess it's probably a hymn tune or something, but nobody really knows. You don't need to know what that means to pray. Isn't that good? This whole book is one man struggling and pouring out his heart to God, isn't it? That's Habakkuk from chapter 1 to chapter 3. His doubts, his complaints, his honest, raw prayers, his questions. And everything ultimately is based on relationship. Prayer is based on relationship, it's communication. That's what you need to keep you going. Keep talking to your heavenly Father. And be honest. Doesn't the psalmist say, pour out your heart to him at all times. God is a refuge for us. If you're angry, if you're sad, if you're confused, if you don't even know what to say, what to pray, just just come and say that. Just sigh with sighs that cannot be expressed. In faith, I prayed. Secondly, in faith, I I feared. I feared. So, verse 2 Lord, I've heard your speech and was afraid. And then in verse 16, when I heard, this is, if you like, when I heard about all the things that God had done, my body trembled, my lips quivered, rottenness. Entered my bones, I trembled in myself. Chapter 3 is a great account of God's saving power and his promises on the last day, on the day of judgment. God's glory is going to cover the heavens. He's going to scatter the mountains. He's going to save the world and judge the world. This God is our God. And Habakkuk reminds us that, yeah, we can pray to him, but we have to fear him. Who are we? Who are we, ultimately, to, to question him and yet he, he doesn't judge he doesn't condemn Habakkuk for his prayers but ultimately we have to come to that point where we submit don't we we can pour out our hearts to him and then we have to submit I, a few years ago we had a number of folks who were converted and then they went on to other churches and I have to be honest I was really angry with God What is the point of evangelising people if you send them somewhere else? That was my prayer. And uh, I needed to come back down to planet Sensible, didn't I? But God lets us pray. And then we need to sometimes perhaps repent of our prayers. But we pray. And the Lord gives us wisdom to submit. We'll enjoy all these believers in heaven. That was what helped me come back to planet reality. But but Habakkuk trembled and we must we must discover again what it is to tremble before God. His ways are not our ways. We're our puny brains. We should we should be fearful of God in some way. Respect him. Honour him. So in faith I feared. In faith though, I I, I focused. And, and by that I'm talking about chapter 3 and verse 2. He prays, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make it known in wrath remember mercy. He's basically saying, look, whose work is it? Lord, it's your work. Here's Habakkuk. He's stressing about Israel. What's he doing? He's really stressing about the Old Testament church. Lord... Surely you should do something about this. Surely you should do something about that. And then here he's realised, hang on a minute, God is much more interested in Israel than even I am. God loves his people more than I do. God is more concerned about his glory than I am. And that's actually a great reason to pray, isn't it? Lord, you surely want the glory more than even we want it for you. So please, you see how he's focusing again? It's not about you, Habakkuk. It's not about me. It's about his work. And that can be very helpful. So he doesn't just pray, Lord, help me. Fix my problems, Lord. He's saying, Lord, revive your work. You see? His his focus is shifting away from himself to the Lord. And that's, that's how faith works. It's not about us. And so... Keep involved, keep keep serving this is the lord 's work uh, John Newton was the pastor, and he wrote some hymns you might have heard of Amazing Grace and others. He was the pastor to william Cooper and a, I, I re- commend reading about the life of john Newton and what a what a loving pastor he was to William Cooper, and um, he helped him in his depression. He basically gave. William Cooper, others to look after. And you think, well, that, is that wise? Well, let me tell you, who did William Cooper get given to look after by his pastor? John Newton came to him and said, right, here you are. And he gave him five rabbits, three hares, who were called Puss, Tiny and Bess, two guinea pigs, a magpie, a jay, a starling, two goldfinches, Two canaries, two dogs, a squirrel, a cat, and some hens. And John Newton said to William, look William, here you go, look after, can you look after all these animals? I don't think he dropped them all on his doorstep in one go. He probably sort of gave them one at a time. Wow. What a, what a wise pastor. William, you have other People. you have other you have other responsibilities William you might not be able to do much but you can help and suddenly he's got his mind taken on other things you see from looking in to looking out to look to the Lord not ourselves not to look at the water and the waves but to look to Jesus it's the same principle of, of looking in or looking out very wise in faith what else did Habakkuk do? Well, in faith, ultimately, he rejoiced. Now, verse uh, 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Of course, that word yet encourages us to look back to verse 17, where he basically says, Look, if, if everything goes south, nothing works out, everything is pretty depressing, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord, despite the terrible situation. And notice that rejoicing is something that Habakkuk chooses to embrace. Now, that does not mean that he paints a smile on his face and pretends. That is not rejoicing. But rejoicing is first and foremost about who we believe. I will believe the promises of God. I will believe the choices of God, the character of God. And I will choose to focus my emotional energy and my mind and my will on the things that I know about him. Even though I also know a lot of terrible things are happening to me. What God has done for me. I rejoice. That does not mean that all his emotions suddenly became happy. It does not mean that. But it means that he chose to begin, as it were, putting the the steps in place. And it's a bit like perhaps a train. The engine. that's That's where we begin. The carriages are like our emotions. And they tend to follow in the direction that our mind and our will and our actions lead. Can't always be that simple. But in faith I rejoiced. And then... Living by faith, I think, lastly in this section, means that we sing. I mean, how does the, the book end? It ends with this very bizarre phrase. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Wow. The word of God is powerful. What What's he saying there? He's saying, sing. What a strange way to end a prophecy. And yet, how very practical. I mean... That strange word in verse 1 of chapter 3 is probably telling the band or the worship leader or the, you know, the, the, whoever, the presenter to, to choose this hymn. I want God's people to sing what I've written in chapter 3. In tough times, open your mouth and sing. It's the hardest, hardest thing to do. Put on some Christian worship and if you can't sing listen to it but sing with one another be with god's people do you see how practical this is don't isolate isn't that the case when we are discouraged and depressed and so on we we isolate don't isolate surround yourself with people who are currently stronger it seems And that's why I mentioned about William Cooper. He was sitting on a hard-backed wooden pew and he was listening to Newton's preaching. And he saw, he, you know, he had his wet coat hanging on the peg and the, the light came through. And he, then he wrote this hymn: Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It's the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. So it ends in hope. To conclude, to finish, just need to add this uh, thought. Living by faith means that we wait. I've said that already, but you see verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, he will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills that's future he's looking forward to a time when his current situation is different the completion of his salvation he's been saved he's being saved and he will be ultimately saved God will make him walk on high hills he'll have a spring in his step freedom joy restoration I'm gonna see God And I'll have the answer to all my questions. And if I don't get the answers, it's because I won't care anymore. So I'll wait. And once more, the cross proves that. Good Friday. There's just a body, and a tomb, and soldiers, and a stone. And then there's disciples walking on the road to Emmaus we had hoped that he was the one who would rescue Israel from their troubles. And the Lord has to say now, oh foolish ones and slow to believe, did not the Messiah have to suffer and then to rise? But the cross proves it. Easter Sunday. But there's waiting. There's there's Easter Saturday where nothing happened. The cross proves that waiting is such a vital part of the Christian life. And you are glorifying your Saviour as you wait for him to rescue you in whatever hole you're in. However wretched you feel, however powerless, however useless you feel, holding on to him is glorifying to him. It's not just the happy Christians who glorify Jesus, it's those who wait for him and trust in him and just somehow keep going. So just to end with a final illustration from William Cooper. We're going to sing in a minute, uh, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Very soon after he wrote this hymn, he was plunged into a period of depression that lasted about 30 years. And he died never really free from that. And in his mental instability, he believed that he was under God's judgment. And he died with no assurance of salvation. And someone once wrote this, Sometimes God may put his children to bed in the dark. That's quite a frightening phrase, isn't it? That was certainly true for William Cooper. And I guess, thankfully, he is probably the exception, else we wouldn't be talking about him. But his lifelong friend, John Newton, never doubted that William Cooper was a child of God. So he gave the funeral address, William's funeral. John Newton was there and he wrote a poem, this beautiful poem that he wrote. And he wrote it in the form of like a little letter to William in heaven. And he said, William, let your memory awake. I told you that thus would end your heaviest woe. I told you that your God would bring you here, heaven, I told you, and God's own hand would wipe away every tear. And I will claim a mansion by your side, I told you so, for our Emmanuel died. He's writing this poem to William in heaven. You might not believe it, William, but I told you, and now you know I was right. What a great pastor John Newton was. could preach a sermon about about him. How do we know? How do we know? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know that you have eternal life and that by believing you have life in his name. The cross, there's our proof. He dies for sinners. He dies for bad people. Are you a bad person? Christ died for people like you and me. And so living by faith means that we wait. But God will wipe away all our tears. And maybe, maybe we'll get to talk to William Cooper. And he'll say, what a great poem my friend John wrote. I told you, now you're here, you can see it as well. So tough times. This world is full of darkness. But we believe in a saviour who said, I am the light.